You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. to think 100% the coolest show on climate change. I'm Rev Yearwood, with president and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And I'm Mustafa Santiago Ali, senior vice president at the Hip Hop Caucus. Welcome to our radio show and podcast that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice, no sides, just the facts and stronger communities. Thank you to WPFW for hosting us here in the studio and for all of our supporters who are making this show a great success. Um, thank you to all of our listeners who tune in each week. We truly love you all. And we want to make sure that everyone out there also checks out the show's blog at think100.info. Let me say that again, think100.info. And be sure to follow us online at Think100Show and submit your questions now using the hashtag Think100. Mustafa, I think I want to make sure that people hear that again. Can you make sure let them know? Because we want to take a lot of questions. So if you're listening and you're tuning in, wherever you may be, give them that hashtag one more time. Most definitely. It is hashtag Think100. Mustafa, you know what today is, man? I know you're about to drop some knowledge on folks. It is World Environment Day. Happy World Environment Day. That's what's up. That's what's up. (laughs) Everyone out there across the globe, uh, across this awesome planet of ours, uh, happy World Environment Day to you. It is also World World Oceans Week. Oceans Week. Yes, most definitely. We have some incredible folks with us and there it's just incredible work that's happening all over the planet. Folks getting focused, understanding this great resource that we have. So, I'm glad we are honoring that. You know, and Mustafa, I think that for those who may not quite understand the importance of um World Environment Day and World Oceans Week, give us a couple reasons why that should be on their radar. Well, you know, in relationship to our planet, we have a much better understanding, and it continues to grow every day, of the interconnectedness of all of us on this planet, the impacts, but also the opportunities that we begin to do this work correctly and begin to focus uh, in a very positive direction. So, you know, folks are beginning to understand why we have this World Environmental Day um, and why we focus in that space. That's important. And also, I, I, I understand that this that it's going to be a March for the Oceans coming up, um, which is important. And we have some guests right now with us who are in the studio to talk about oceans and their importance for our world. Um, we have David Helvark. He is the executive director of Blue Frontier, the author of six books. He's writing. He's writing as we're doing the interview. That's that's how amazing David is. Like as we doing the interview, he got like two extra arms writing it out. And he is an award winning journalist. He's an advocate and an oceans leader. He has an amazing background, including as he has worked as a war correspondent in Northern Ireland and Central America. 
producer of more than 40 broadcast documentaries for PBS, the Discovery Channel, and others. Man, he is also the chair for the March for Ocean Steering Committee, which is taking place this Saturday here in D.C. and across the country. David, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. And uh, across the country and the world, it's a, it's a World Ocean Day, and uh, it's a World Ocean. We talk about the environment. Most of it's salt water. Mm-hmm. So, uh, sadly. And we're going to get into that. Yeah. But we also are super blessed that we have Valeria Moreno, uh, who's here with us. She is the vice president for Global Earth Day at the Earth Day Network. Uh, many of you know the Earth Day Network and the incredible work that it does all year long. She also has an amazing background as an environmental lawyer by training and someone with deep experience resolving social issues, something that we know we most definitely need uh, at this time in our history. Uh, also at the Earth Day Network, she is busy building the Earth Day's 50th anniversary, which is coming up in 2020, into a platform that will unite voices into the global movement that is required to save the planet and life on Earth. That, that's, a, that's a mighty task that you have there. Uh, she also is leading the End Plastic Pollution Campaign, which is something we really want to highlight during Oceans Week. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Hip Hop Caucus Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. And it is officially Oceans Week. So, David, can you talk about why protecting our oceans is as important as ever right now? Well, sure. Our oceans are the source of life on our planet. Mm. I mean, no blue, no green, as as Sylvia Earle like says. That. And uh, the reality that people, you know, it's the beginning of summer, so people are going to the beach. They don't want pollution. They want to be able to bring their, their family and their kids there. But, you know, most people don't realize, like, we talk about the rainforest being the lungs of the earth. Half the oxygen we consume is, is from phytoplankton in the ocean. It's the, it's the driver of climate and weather. It gives us the rain that, that feeds our, our crops and, and waters our lives. And so it's really our, our march is a march uh, for a healthy ocean and clean water for all. Um, and it's also it's this vast, unexplored wilderness. We've, we've mapped 100% of the moon and Mars with the resolution. We've only mapped about 5% of this ocean. So, I mean, I, I love it since I was a kid. You know, I got, got into it. I thought as a kid I'd look up at the stars, think I was born a generation too soon to explore alien worlds. And when I was 15, my mom took my sister and me down to Florida Keys, and I got a mask and snorkel and went off the seawall. There was. There was. It's like living, living rocks, all colorful, and my first shoaling fish and hammerhead shark, little turtles. And, and it's a wonder. It's still a wonder, but it's a wonder at risk. I mean, in the blink of an eye, I've lived Explain my life. Explain that some more. When you say a wonder at risk, what do you mean by that? I mean, literally, when I first saw that, that coral gardens in Florida, it was 90% live coral cover. Today, it's less than 10%. I was just down in Cuba a few months ago. My friend Manny took me to a cove. He's three hours out of Havana. He says, it's the most beautiful snorkeling in the Caribbean. And we got there, Puerto Escondido. And it, it looked crystal clear. It looked beautiful. As soon as I got in the water mm-hmm. after Hurricane Irma and the hot water there, it was just dead rock. Mm-hmm. He left after Ex- five explain minutes. Explain that. Cause we have some new listeners, young folks who are coming on board just for this show. They're getting engaged with the climate movement. They're not hearing about oceans. So when you hear about coral, what do you mean when you say that you went there when you were young and it was vibrant and colorful? You went back and now it's dead. Why did that happen? And what is coral for folks that's tuning in? So coral reefs are like the 
the heart of the ocean. They're like, you know, there's beautiful living animals and, and they're the largest living structures on Earth. When you go to the Great Barrier Reef, you can see it from space. It's thousands of miles, but, um, but they're fragile. And just in the last four years, literally half the Great Barrier Reef of Australia has died because the oceans are changing after millions of years. We're changing the oceans in ways that evolution might take millennia and millions of years. We're changing them by our pollution. We're changing them. We're polluting them with heat. I mean, 10 years ago, scientists were telling me that they weren't clear. You know, the, the science suggested that the atmosphere should be warming even more rapidly. And then we discover 90% of all the heat we're generating from burning fossil fuels is absorbed in the ocean. Mm-hmm. But a warmer ocean is, uh, creates problems. A warmer ocean intensifies hurricanes. It intensifies uh, torrential rains that become these rain bombs. And it also um, overheats the coral. It stresses them, and they, they lose their color. They have to expel these algae that, that they in, live with symbiotic uh, relationship to. When the algae expel, they start slowly starving to death. And that's happened in 2015. I saw coral bleaching in Hawaii. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the third global bleaching event. It went on from 2015 to 2017. It impacted half the world's corals. And these aren't just beautiful places to go diving, well, they are, but but they're storm barriers to protect island nations. They're sources of income and of food. 25% of all of all the, the fishes grow around these coral reefs that cover less than 1% of the ocean. So these are like the fragile heart of an ocean that's sick. And it's sick from our lack of our knowledge and from some individual's greed. Wow. Well, Valeria, you know, we are huge fans of the Earth Day Network, um, and especially the work that you guys are doing around uh, plastic pollutions. Uh, could you talk a little bit and discuss with uh, our listeners a little bit about why this is important, and especially for our, our most vulnerable communities who sometimes are forgotten in this conversation? I would love to visit you guys, and uh, we think that this program is wonderful and gives us a chance to talk to people that sometimes are not getting involved in this in this movement. And the reason why we picked uh, plastic pollution uh, is because we asked our community, which were the top environmental issues that they care about, mm-hmm. and many people were worried about all this enormous amount of plastic waste and garbage that you see now everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you have noticed in cities like even Washington, D.C., where we have a good waste management collection, you know, and the city actually does a, a decent job with all of those things. You now see more and more cups and straws and bowls and coffee cups everywhere. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine in places in the world where there is no waste management of any kind? Mm-hmm. So the, a lot of, of, of this um, waste, which contains a lot of plastics, uh, 15% more or less of all the waste in the planet is plastics, ends up in the ocean. Because in the places where there is no good management and people also do not have any choices of what to do with their waste, mm. what they do, they go throw them in streams, they throw them in ravines, they throw them in the rivers, and then where all this water goes, eventually goes to the ocean. And it's being said that in 15 to 20 years there's going to be more plastic than fish by weight in the ocean. Mm. And the problem with plastic is that it's hold not on, hold like on, hold on. other that, hold things. On. That, you can't, they can't say that. That was, a, that was a statement there that needs to be said again. Say that, yeah. say that again. I said about 20 or 25 years from now, there's going to be more plastic than fish by weight in the ocean. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And the problem with plastic, as you know, is that it doesn't go away. You know, if you if you bury a little plastic plastic and you go there 50 years from now, mm-hmm. you're going to still find it exactly where you left it. But if you unleash plastic in the water, 
because of the movement, because it's hitting things, it starts breaking little pieces. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really disappear. It just becomes many, many, many more pieces of the same plastic, and you cannot even see it. Sometimes it's microscopic. And now we know that there is uh, fibers and microplastics in the water that we drink that we cannot see, even bottled water, mm -hmm. and water is being treated by cities basically in the oceans by the billions and billions and billions of little pieces and fish and crustaceans and other ones eat it because they don't know the difference. You know, if you are a turtle, you're around and you see a plastic bag floating in the ocean, you may think that it's food and you just go swallow it. And can you imagine all these animals have all kinds of plastic bags in their stomachs. They, and we they, just they saw just, that. They, they die. Like yeah. this whale they, they, that, you know, they found recently. There's another one that was found in another country. Thailand and Spain. Through, and, and this is happening more and more and more. And the problem at the end of the day is that this, the fish will eat the plastic. We don't know exactly what happens with that plastic in the fish. It may end up in their flesh or not. And plastic carries pollutants because it's not just the plastic itself. You know, mm. In order to make plastic, you use certain chemicals. Those chemicals certainly are not good in your stomach. And, they're and then, like, yeah. They're like a toxic sponge. Yeah. These polymers yeah. are like a million times more effective than seawater in attracting other chlorinated compounds like the legacy polluters, the DDT and PCB. Mm. So they bring in all the poisons, and then it comes up through the food web. And this is, this is the uh, scary part of it is, is that um, it's expanding. And for folks who don't know those acronyms, break those down for people listening. Yeah, these are basically, it's just... Plastic never goes away, but it attracts other um, chemicals that are petroleum-based, essentially. And that's sort of the common theme. I mean, we're marching on Saturday against offshore drilling and spilling, against plastic pollution of the ocean, and we're refocusing. The community's refocusing away from uh, just consumer education. We don't want kids going in restaurants and haranguing underpaid servers telling because they're serving them straws, plastic straws. We want to focus on corporate accountability. Mm -hmm. This is where all this tsunami of plastic, single-use throwaway plastic is coming from these major corporations. Um, so we're, we're against the Trump administration's plan to open up all our waters to, to oil, certainly, against, you know, plastic pollution. And we're uh, for coastal restoration, resilience, which means basically our communities are all at risk because of rising seas. The common thread between our three demands for the March for the Ocean is really petroleum. We really have to get beyond it. I mean, you know, coal and oil were great energy systems for the 16th and 19th century, mm -hmm. but this is the 21st, and we have solutions. That's the other theme of this. You know, we're marching because you protect what you love. But hold on, let me let me, let me actually deal with that for a second because you mean yes, you said a few things for both for both of you actually. Please, I want you to respond to this because you made a you made an important po point. One, uh, the cover of National Geographic had an amazing cover. Uh, for those who haven't seen yep. that, uh, Nat Geo had a cover that looked like an iceberg, but it was actually was a, a plastic bag. It was, it was, it was, it was, a, it was a great way of using art to yep. kind of illustrate the problem. But this is the thing here. You mentioned this, you know, there's this march, which is very important, and we want to, we're going to make sure that folks know how to get to the march because we need to. You heard reasons why we need to march for the oceans. But let's go back to this ban on, on plastics because you said two different things. There's a, a larger, David, uh, plan on banning plastic that's kind of going forth and how we should 
go forth with that. And then, Larry, you mentioned a point about banning plastics. Our folks are just talking about the straws and, and stopping that, which is also, we have our good friend Adrian Grenier, who's about stop sucking. And so let's 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 put the, because sometimes our movie yeah. can be kind of siloed. Let's put those two things together. So go first and kind of explain the importance of this ban plastics from your perspective. Well, there is, you know, two types of, or three types of, uh, problems related to plastics. The one is all these items that are created, used for a few minutes, and then throw it away, right? right. Mm-hmm. And and just to repeat what David said, plastic is a product of petroleum. That's right. Mm-hmm. So you process petroleum, you get a byproduct of it, and with that you create plastic. So at the end of the day, you know, is a is a petroleum product. Mm-hmm. And there's been an enormous increase in these single-use plastics, which are Giveaways. You know, in most cases, you don't really pay them directly. You, you know, you pay indirectly through whatever you're buying, and that is a signal of this wasteful society we live today. You know, That's we right. throw things away constantly, and those and there are two, three problems with that. One is that you know they produce more waste that we can manage, and a lot of that waste goes into the wrong places like the ocean. The second thing is we're producing carbon, mm-hmm. right? Because all those things. They have to be manufactured. They produce carbon because of the oil and because of the production itself. And then we lose all that value because we throw it away into the garbage. Mm. It doesn't make a lot of sense, right? So although I am very um, aligned with David in the sense that, you know, there is a lot of corporate responsibility into this because there's all these companies, you know, make a lot of money giving you all this free plastic to throw away, but also there is the responsibility of the companies that before them produce the bottles or the containers or the cups that they buy to sell the coffee. So it's like a whole chain of responsibility, but at least but we think in Airthane Network that also citizens have to take responsibility about their That's own right. consumption. Because if you don't vote with your wallet, if mm. you don't think every time that you buy something that is made of plastic, Come on do I need this? Can I use something else that I have in my housing instead? Mm-hmm. What we are doing is encouraging the production. So this is a many different actors have responsibilities. So the companies have, the people, we do have responsibility, and the governments also because they should be banning these things, you know, making the companies pay for the cleaning, for the processing of the waste, mm-hmm. for the education of the people. Mm-hmm. That's what the European Commission is proposing right now to do. Mm-hmm. Which is very interesting. It just came last week. You know, they have a whole new plan, and they call this the circular economy. You have to worry about from the very beginning of the production of an item, what's going to happen with this item when you need to yeah. dispose of it. Yeah. And if I could just add real quick, also, so from an environmental justice lens, many of those petrochemical corporations and others who are creating these plastics are located in our most vulnerable communities. So, okay. You know, we've got that component also. Yeah. I, I covered. I mean, I've yeah. been in Cancer Alley, both in southern Louisiana and in Texas. And in, in Robstown, Texas, was a Hispanic community that I, mm-hmm. yeah. I covered. The uh, Oxy, Oxychem plant blew up, poisoned that community. I talked to the plant manager, went inside. I go, how come all your uh, all your evacuation plans were only for Corpus, for the, the richer direction? He goes, well, that's where the prevailing winds go. Mm-hmm. So so it's all about in, in fighting for the ocean and fighting for the environment. It's, it's finding that way where we can really work the triple bottom line, which yeah. is balance the economy, the environment, and equity mm-hmm. without, you know, without treating people decently, without – and that's, you know, as I say, the ocean is the source of all water. It's about clean water. It's about a healthy ocean, and that provides – the network in which people people and communities can thrive. Yeah. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Hip Hop Caucus Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. We were having a great conversation in regards to uh, the oceans 
and with regards to ban on plastics. And Mustafa, I think, wanted to chime in in this conversation. Well, yes. Yeah, so we know that uh, this coming weekend we have the march uh, that's coming up. So could you guys just talk a little bit more about that and, and getting people um, where they need to be, uh, what they should expect uh, that will be happening in that space and, and why they should be there? Yeah. Um, first of all, I got a friend, Margo Pellegrino, who's who's uh, coming down, paddling down on her outrigger from New Jersey, the okay. AC to DC, Atlantic City to New Jersey. She's doing an 18 day paddle, which for Margo's oh, not. Hold on. She's paddling. You mean she's paddling, paddling? Paddling day after day on her outrigger canoe, which which for her is kind of a quick route. She's done. Uh, she read my book, Fifty Ways to Save the Ocean. She decides she's going to do more for her kids, so she paddled from Miami to Maine, and later Seattle to San Diego. Last year, the inland loop because all waters are connected. Mm. And on Saturday morning, she's going to be joined by hundreds of people on kayaks and sups and dragon boats. Okay, love because, it because uh, on the Armada on the Anacosta. 8 to 10, and then at 11, we'll, we'll be gathering at the uh, at the northwest corner of the Washington Monument. If you don't see the stage, you'll see the 90-foot life-size blue whale, a couple of small 20-foot whales. I'll have a whole pod there along with uh, with some Jesse Colin Young, some musicians, and, and a lot of ocean heroes, you know, Enrique Sala and Sylvia Earle and Paul Watson and uh, and and you know, just people who love the ocean and a lot of hopefully thousands of people who love the ocean so much, get so much from the ocean in terms of, you know, oxygen and rain and recreation, transportation, trade, mm-hmm. potential clean energy, just that sense of awe and wonder that you want to give something back. Mm-hmm. And and so, uh, you know, at, at 1130 or so, we'll gather there, uh, hear some music, and at noon we'll march off around that empty White House. And at this point, we'd rather have it empty. Um, and we'll be back at 130 at Northwest uh, side of the uh, Washington Monument for a rally that'll go for some hours with music and with uh, mm. people like Sylvia Earle, we call her her deepness, mm. you know, a woman who spent more time uh, with the fishes than with us and uh, has a deeper sense of, of that connectedness. It's it's all connected. It's what uh, Isaac Dennison, the, the author, once said, that uh, the cure for anything is salt water, you know, sweat, mm. tears, or mm-hmm. the salty sea. Yeah, I like that. I like that. And she's a fabulous speaker and an engaging person. And I think people will really enjoy listening from her. Um, What I want to tell you, you were saying why anyone would go to this marching. I think there's many different reasons. And that's what is interesting about this march. It may be just because you love the ocean, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Maybe because you like eating fish. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, because you like to paddle around, you know, in a place or do exercise in the ocean. Um, uh, I think there is a big connection between people that care about climate and what's going on with the ocean, too. Because mm-hmm. remember what he said about what's happening with the heating up of the water? That is going to cause a lot of problems for fish in all the marine life. And that has some direct connection with climate. The second reason is because we should care about the oceans do not rising. Mm-hmm. Right. If they do, we're going to have a lot of problems. And then there is this social component of it, how many people live around the ocean. And we, we saw it this Millions. last hurricane season, mm-hmm. you know, $260 billion of damage from Harvey and Irma and Maria. Mm-hmm. And, yes, and right? I was out in California thinking of going in with the Coast Guard to uh, Maria, and I didn't. But then a week later, I was, like, interviewing people who'd gone through the Sonoma yeah. fires, the wildfires in the West. It's all connected. It was the ocean heats. Um, you know, it, it's rising waters intensify, and that warm water mm-hmm. uh, acts as supercharges hurricanes. So that what used to be natural disasters have become human catastrophes because of our energy choices, yeah. because of our development choices. And you mm-hmm. see it. I was I was in Katrina, and you see that it's 
you know, it strikes everybody, but it's longer to recover for for poorer communities of color. And and you know, the the government came in. I mean, this is this is like Katrina again. The government came in under Trump. He threw some paper towels. Said, hmm. "What a good deal." Sixty people only died. Only now we find out it's like over four thousand. Yeah, yeah. Let me ask you both a, a final question here, um, and this is. So, as you both are, thank you for your work as activists. Thank you for your work. We love us. As I said, Earth Day Network and the work you guys do. And David, thank you. Keep writing. Um, but question: as as you are, as you are, as you are thinking about this for the next generation, um, both of you, and if you can talk to that next generation, with a lot of young people listening to this show, um, two, it's a two-parter. Give them your one sentence or two sentence why they should care about the oceans and tell them your favorite song we're um we're, we're going to have a lot of uh, young people uh, speaking and leading the march on saturday heirs to the ocean and hannah for change and uh and and my belief is you know our young people are not the leaders of the future they're the leaders of today if we if we partner up with them and and provide them the resources so we're looking and we're getting a lot of the leadership in the plastics movement in the in the um ocean protection movement is coming up from young people and uh my favorite song it's uh you probably wouldn't and a lot of young people might not unless they're aussies um deeper waters okay by, okay bye 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 paul Gotta do the sound cloud. We gotta, we, we, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta, Aussie, Aussie folky, Paul brain fart. There, there, it, is. there it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your two sentences and your favorite song. I think, uh, my two sentences are I, I think, you know, young people should care about their own well being, mm-hmm. and the ocean, uh, is such an enormous part of our environment that anything that happens to it, either even you live close to it or far away from it is going to affect us. So one has to be very, um, you know, uh, connected to what is going on. And we here, we're very close to the ocean and to the river. So for anybody living in the cities, it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am, um, uh, I have many, many songs that I like, and you just caught me completely well, off guard yeah, right This is the coolest show on climate change. Like, you you, you got to have a, a song now. So so when so next time we talk and we have Earth Day on network on y'all come back on I, we want to hear more about this clearly this is an ongoing issue um, definitely gotta have this song for you I know when you leave you gonna be ah I should have said that's my song for my and mother next March for the Ocean we want Frank Ocean to show up I, I like that okay. now nah, I like that I like that I like that thought there I, I like that in that process first of all I am actually let me just say this for y'all leave this segment. Um, I'm from born in Louisiana, but my parents are from the Caribbean. Um, as is our our film person Tafa and and, and Butter, both from the Caribbean as well, the Virgin Islands, and from Trinidad myself. And uh, you know, people don't understand what happens to those islands. And so, for those who are marching, thank you for those of us from the Caribbean, um, because you know our islands and islands like the Maldives are yeah. going away, and so those who are marching on Saturday, for those in the Caribbean, like myself, um, my mama, uh, and, and all my family from the Caribbean, and those like Tafa and Butter, Butterman and others, yep. we, we thank you for marching for the oceans. Because the oceans truly is, as they said here in, in Standing Rock, Miniwachone, water is life, and the mm-hmm. oceans is life. is life. 
Thank you. You are listening to Hip Hop Caucus. Think 100% the coolest show on climate change. Um, man, that was a, a great, great segment there on mm-hmm. the march um, for the oceans coming this week, as well as the discussion on banned plastics. You are listening to Think 100% the coolest show on climate change. And I have a dear friend in the studio with us right now. Uh, he is an amazing just advocate, and he is an amazing just leader. Uh, we have Trip Van Noppen, who is the president of Earth Justice. Trip is has used uh, has been the president of Earth Justice for some time, and has used that uh, uh, platform to use literally have what we would call the Earth needs a good lawyer, um, and Earth Justice uses the legal process to protect our environment and people's health. Um, Trip has a long history of fighting the good fight for the environment in court, including having spent time arguing through rights, employment, and toxic tort cases. He's a former member of the Southern Environmental Law Center and became director of that organization's Carolina offices. So, without further ado, our good friend Trip, welcome. Thank you so much, Rev, and thank you, Mustafa. It's wonderful to be here, and congratulations on what a great show you've put together over the last few months. It's really terrific to see this taking off. Thank you, thank yeah. you. Well, Trip, I mean, well, thank you, and we're going to get into the nitty-gritty because I know you. One thing I just want to say for those, this is on a personal note. Um, so I've known Trip for quite some time. We actually, Trip uh, runs Earth Justice, but we also are on the board together. Um, at the League of Conservation Voters. Um, so we've known each other for quite some time. And I just want to say this, that um, Tripp gets it. What I mean when I say that is that he understands what it means to to want to broaden our movement. He is concerned about what happens to this planet um, for the future generations. And I think that he has a love for, he, I don't think, I know, He's a love for humanity, but and Earth Justice is a, has become a powerful entity um, for our movement. So with that, you know, Mustafa, fire away. Hey, hey Trip, good to see you. Thank you, hey, and welcome to the show. Um, so you know, I think it's really interesting. You know that Earth Justice. Um, is very nonpartisan in their work. I think sometimes folks may not realize that enough. I know myself working in, in the federal government there for a number of years. You guys didn't care if it was a Democratic or a Republican administration. If somebody wasn't doing what needed to be done, you guys made sure that you engaged them <laughs> vigorously in that process. So, I mean, that that's really important. But we also know that vulnerable communities sometimes have a distrust of the legal system. And we know there's some history, but that's behind that. Can you talk a little bit about what Earth Justice is doing to build authentic uh, sort of collaborative partnerships and relationships with communities? I certainly can, and, you're, and I know you're right that there's a lot of well, you know, well-founded distrust in communities of color about the legal system, particularly the criminal justice system. Uh, at the same time, there's a really powerful tradition of communities of color using the courts to advance a civil rights cause. And Earth Justice, in a way, was modeled on the work of the NAACP and the NAACP Legal Defense Fund, Mm -hmm. who pioneered the use of the courts to bring about social change in a way that had never really happened, not only here, but almost basically anywhere in the world. And some lawyers who were doing environmental work looked at that and said, we need to do that on the environment, too. Mm -hmm. So 
um, just to bring that back around, the, the problems that we're working on are faced most acutely by communities of color. Mm -hmm. And those communities have advocated for better environmental protection. They want to clean up the air in, in the neighborhoods that they live in. They want to clean up that power plant and that oil refinery mm -hmm. that they live in the shadow of. And if all that work to change the rules and the laws doesn't get enforced and actually implemented, it wasn't much good for people. And so we've taken our you know historic work to try to work on national standards to clean up pollution mm -hmm. and trying to bring it down to the community level to make it because it's not worth it unless we really make it work at the community level so we have lawyers whole team for example working in los angeles on air pollution that's making people sick from the port and the freight system that's connected mm -hmm. to the port mm -hmm. and the oil refineries there we're working with native american tribes across in many parts of the country fighting fossil fuel mm developments, pipelines, and terminals, and refinery expansions. We're working with communities of color in states that are moving forward on clean energy transformation, mm. like right here in Maryland and in New Jersey, where there's been good efforts at the state legislative level and in the state utilities commissions to get new standards passed so that solar energy is available to all not only to people with single-family homes who live in a neighborhood with a lot of sunshine. Mm -hmm. And so there's been some great work to, with groups in, on that in, in a lot of different states. It's really making a difference. Well, Trip, man, thank you so much. If you're just tuning in, you are listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. We have Trip Van Noppen, who is the president and CEO of Earth Justice. Trip, you were just talking about, with Mustafa, about the vulnerable communities and how they're distrust, but what are some of the recent examples of some of your ocean's good work in these communities, like from the Bayou Bridge, some of the pipeline fights, COAS, what are some things that Earth Justice is doing right now on the legal side? Well, you know, the Trump administration has an all-out push to develop fossil fuels on the public lands and to make way for the oil companies to do what they want to do across across the country. And we're working with communities to fight that everywhere we can. You mentioned the Bayou Bridge. That's not a bridge. It's a pipeline. That's right. It's an old pipeline. It's the last link in the, the tar sands pipeline coming all the way down to the Gulf Coast. It's going right through Cajun communities and the wetlands of, of southern Louisiana. And we're and representing tell some folks about that recently because there was a victory, but then people are still building. Give some background on the Bayou Bridge Pipeline. So the pipeline was approved without much environmental review and without going out and bringing it and having real community involvement. And, and once it was approved, they started building it as quick as they could. We took them to court and the judge in that case in Louisiana, which is where the courts are pretty friendly to the oil industry, said, hold on, this has not been looked at closely enough and actually stopped construction, which doesn't happen very often. Mm -hmm. So the pipeline company made an emergency appeal to the Federal Court of Appeals for what's called the Fifth Circuit. It's that Gulf Coast part of the country. And the court said, we're not going to stop construction while this review goes on. So it's still in litigation and it could still stop eventually, but that immediate injunction was lifted and they're back to building the pipeline. Mm -hmm. And you know, we saw that same cycle happen with the Standing Rock Pipeline. We were representing, with the Dakota Access Pipeline, where we were representing the Standing Rock Sioux. And the judge in that case said, well, I see legal problems with how they haven't taken the tribe's interests fully into account, the risk of an oil spill fully into account, but, uh, but I'm not gonna stop construction while we review these legal matters and decide what to do. 
and it's a real problem. It's it's gotten to be harder to get a court order stopping something that's underway. If we have time before they start construction, it's e- it's easier to hold off construction than it is to stop it once mm-hmm. it started. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but we're also working issues of chemical exposure, like Trump EPA right now is trying to postpone rules that during the Obama administration, we worked with farm worker organizations mm-hmm. on pesticide exposure for young people, including children who are working in the fields and applying the pesticides to the plants. Wow. And this, these were rules that were long overdue to make things safer, safer for kids doing farm work. That's right. And the, the, the Trump administration says, well, we're not going to let those go into effect. We're going to delay, you know, that requirement. And so we are taking them to court over that. That's the kind of thing we're doing with all these delays and backsliding that the Trump administration is trying to do. Yeah. So, Trip, last week we had Whitney Tome from Green 2.0 on the show. Um, we had a, a very um, deep conversation about the lack of diversity that exists uh, in many of our green organizations. Uh, some of them are trying to move forward and, and sort of address some of that. Some of them still have some evolving to do. We'll say it that way. Um, and, and I know the work that Earth Justice does in partnership with lots of various communities of color across the country. Can you talk a little bit also about the organization and the structure and how you guys are working on getting more folks of color in leadership positions, middle management, in the door, you know, um, you know, first jobs, those different types of things? Yes. Uh, happy to talk about that. And yeah. Whitney Tome is doing a great job at Green 2.0. And yes, we were proud to sp- to support the Green 2.0 once it got going and Mm -hmm. still participate. Um, It's badly needed, this broadening, not only of the movement in terms of who the activists, but who are the staff working in these organizations. And Mm -hmm. at all levels, first job out of school to leadership positions and board of trustees or board of directors positions. Mm -hmm. And this country was changing demographically and politically, and Schools were becoming diversified, and the military was becoming diversified, and big corporations were becoming diversified, and the environmental movement was not. Mm-hmm. We would come to a meeting at at the Obama EPA, yeah. and there's a multicultural group of people around the table waiting for this meeting, and the environmental leaders would walk in, and it was like Mitch McConnell and the Senate Republican leadership had just walked in the room, a bunch of old white men. Mm-hmm. And that just was not, that just cannot be. It shouldn't have been the movement of yesterday, and it cannot be the movement of today or tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So we've changed a lot about practices and policies across the organization. We've trained mm-hmm. intensive training of every single staff person, um, a lot of recruiting, and and the culture change has to be really worked on, and it doesn't happen overnight. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, we find now where we've got to focus is at the work group level, at the team level, where the actual work assignments are being made, and the promotional opportunities occur, and the professional development opportunities occur. We've done a great job at recruiting a much more diverse workforce and board mm-hmm. at at all levels of the organization. Um, but the culture change comes slow, and it, it, it's a struggle we all need to be in, and we're in that struggle. Yeah. Uh, let me just ask this question real quick, Rev. Uh, Tripp, do you feel that we can win on climate and the environment if we don't diversify the movement? Absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely not. And we learned that just smacked upside the head, learned that in 2010 when the Democrats controlled the White House, the, the Senate, and the House of Representatives, and there was a lot of momentum to pass a national climate piece of legislation. Mm-hmm. 
and it couldn't get to a vote in the Senate because the movement wasn't broad enough. There weren't enough people from enough different kinds of communities pounding on enough Senate doors to make that happen when it should have happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, Tripp, I'm, I'm going to keep that, that flow going because I think that you're, you're very unique, and I think, you know, I think that, you know, so if you can talk to your colleagues, I mean, I think part of the problem is that people have been discussing this. We know that climate change is real. Uh, people can see what, what will happen if we don't make changes. We know that we have to broaden the movement, but it seems like sometimes the, the state of the current environmental movement doesn't want to do what it needs to do. So what can, what, what can you do? I know you're already doing a lot to talk to them, but more, what more can folks who are part of that, that movement today do to broaden it, to expand, adding culture, do things like we're doing today? I think it means, you know, my, my voice can be a voice for the fact not only that this needs to be done, but that it takes real focus and real work and ongoing work. It's not something that you have a two-year initiative and you shake your, shake, pat yourself on the back and you're done. It's a, it's a lifelong learning journey, not only for an individual, but for an organization. Mm-hmm. And uh, so being a voice of support for people who – it, you know, who to dive into the work but then find it's hard or it can be hard yeah. or it can generate conflict. Uh, it can generate people having to do some soul searching. And it's amped up because we're in such a political pressure cooker of heightened, you know, ra- visible racism in our country. And that penetrates inside an organization and people's feelings about you know, what's going on in the country, make it a more emotional topic and a topic more necessary to deal with, but also sometimes harder to deal with. Mm-hmm. So so my voice is just let's keep at it and don't think you can do it quickly and mm-hmm. don't think it's going to happen overnight. Mm-hmm. So, Tripp, I mean, we're, we're coming to the end. We, we have to figure out a way. I think when we go out to the Bay Area, we have to do a, a round two of this conversation with Earth Justice. But I actually want to ask you a question. This is because we're friends. Yes. Um, and one thing that we we know a little bit a little bit about each other. We are both fathers, and we talk about our kids to each other a lot. Um, and I you know about my kids, and I know about your kids, and I know you got kids not doing documentaries now and good stuff like that, and getting married and and all all the good stuff. Um, so if we can speak to if you can speak to the next generation um, as, as a father, because we're actually getting close to Father's Day. If you can speak to the next generation and explain why you fought so hard, why you did all you could do to try to curb um, our dependence on fossil fuels, and if you can speak to them, speak to your, your children's children now. You know, they look back at us now. We're, we're long gone, but if you can speak to our children's children for the next couple of minutes, what, what would you want to tell them? Well, when I was much, much younger, I looked out at the people a generation ahead of me, older than me, and felt like, how can you be leaving us this world where at that time we were in, at war in Vietnam, where we didn't belong, pollution was happening and destroying our natural resources and, our, and, and people's health, um, the, the, I, I, this was basically the 
It's the very end of legalized segregation in the South and North Carolina where I was growing up. Um, and I could go on and on. And I thought, how can, I, how can these people who believe in us this world? And I didn't want to leave my children and my grandchildren that world. And I st still don't. And things, lots of things have changed and lots of things haven't changed. And we, we got way more work to do. And I, I, I want... You know, I want everybody who wants to play their part, now's the time to play their part. And if they're younger and can get involved, now's the time to do it. So, well, Tripp, thank you so much. I've always said that demonstration without uh, uh, litigation uh, leads to frustration, and demonstration without legislation leads to frustration. So, this weekend we have a march uh, uh, for the ocean, which is demonstration. But litigation is key. So if folks who are in this movement and they want to get more involved with Earth Justice, tell them how they can get more involved. How, how can they find Earth Justice? Well, the, you can find Earth Justice at earthjustice.org on, on the web. And we've got on, the, on that site you can sign up to get a regular flow of information and of action items, you, uh, take action kinds of messages. Uh, you can see a lot of the stories that we of the types of issues we've been talking about spelled out with a lot of video, a lot of a lot of visuals, a lot of storytelling there, a lot of the voices of the people that we're working with. You don't get just a lot of Earth Justice promo. You get there's a lot of really good stories being told on on that website. So I encourage people to go sign up for the action alerts, take those actions because they matter and, and we'll keep you informed. Well Trip man, thank you. Um, I appreciate you. Um, keep fighting. Um, I know that if we as humans, black, white, brown, red, yellow, male, female, straight, gay, fierce, atheist, humans, we come together, we can win this thing. And You're right. I know we, we, we got no choice but to win it. Thank you, brother. You're right. Appreciate you. I just want to thank all y'all for being a part of Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, a hip-hop caucus platform. Let's keep this important dialogue going. Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think100Show and at Hip Hop Caucus. Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Think 100, think 100, think 100, think 100.